together. I think we're, we're good to go. So Emily Swan, our own Emily Swan, we like Emily Swan, don't we, is going to be speaking. Amen. Good morning. I'm going to be doing things a little bit differently today. Some of you know I got a nice little mild concussion coming back from the, well, we were in the Atlanta airport and I, it was just so dumb. I sat down and I smacked my head on a windowsill really hard and I got it checked out, I'll be fine, but reading was a little bit difficult this week. So instead of writing my sermon out, I went back to a technique that I did when I first started preaching was just to take some notes. So bear with me here. I hopefully you won't even notice very much. And before we get into the sermon today, I also wanted to just make a note that I have a sabbatical coming up and I realized that it's coming up quickly and that I hadn't communicated to the larger church what the dates of that um, are going to be. So I'll be going on a three-month sabbatical from April 8th through July 8th. It'll be a time where I can just, you know, rest, refresh, maybe pursue some lines of study that have been interesting to me that I haven't had time for. Some people have been asking, are you going to stay here? I am going to stay here for the most part. I have, um, I have a dad who has a brain degenerative disease, and so I, I plan to spend some time giving my mom some reprieve down in Indianapolis, and it'll give me some time to spend with dad that way. But for the most part, I'm going to be just like landscaping our backyard with my own two hands, really looking at you. Rachel's like, yeah, like just like that. I'll be so strong. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward. You know, it's been, it's been, you know, it's been kind of a busy few years, as you know. So I'm looking forward to just kind of connecting with nature, connecting with the earth, and kind of finding some connection back in myself um, again, too. And I think that'll be, I think that'll be lovely. So this idea of connecting to self, you know, when we first started the Blue Ocean Church, about three years ago, Ken and I came up with a mission statement together, and it was influenced by the larger Blue Ocean organization. And our mission is cultivating connection to self, to others, to God, and to the world around us, which I think is beautiful. That's still what our mission is. I think it's all about connection. But I have to admit that there was this little, probably like the conservative Christian in me, still in there that was like connection to self. Like, ah, you know, aren't, aren't Christians supposed to be about connecting, you know, like loving neighbors and loving God, connecting out in this way? And it seems kind of self-helpy or something. I don't know. But pretty soon into starting the church, like I had this thought hit me like a Mack truck. It just kind of came and it was like, hello, Emily. It took you until you were 30 years old to say out loud that you were gay. Like how disconnected from yourself do you think you had to be to find yourself in that place? And I started to realize that I had gotten really good at suppressing parts of myself for the sake of belonging. You know, for the sake of being accepted within my family, within my friend group, within my church community, and of making other people around me happy. And part of that was just disconnection from myself. Now that certainly can happen with sexuality and faith sorts of things. But I was talking to another friend of mine this last week, and she's been a lifelong friend, dear to me. and. She was, she was talking about how, she's like, Emily, we're nearing middle age now, and I realized that I spent the last 15 years doing a job that I'm really, really bored in. And she said, I looked back on my life, and she said, I waitressed for six or seven years to get through college. And she goes, I loved waitressing. Like, it was fun. I'm a people person. I felt like I was never bored. I could leave my work at work. I just really enjoyed it. But I felt like everybody around me was like, you're too smart for this. You should go to college. You should get a respectable career. Not that waitressing is 
that was like what she was feeling from people. And um, she reached this place and she was like, I really don't like what I do, but I liked waitressing. And I was like, well, you can do what you want. Like, is it, is it like, is it a money issue? She's like, no, it's not that. I just feel like people would look at me differently. I'm like, oh gosh, I don't have any pretensions about jobs at all. I was like, if that's fun for you, why don't you do that? And she said, something she said to me was interesting. I thought she was like, I just feel like I don't even know what I want anymore. I feel like I've spent my life kind of pleasing or becoming a picture of what I'm supposed to be. And I don't even know what I want. And you know, that's, that's something that Brene Brown talks about a lot. She's a shame researcher. She says that, you know, that shame is caused when we're afraid that something about who we are or what we want won't um, please other people, that we have a fear of being disconnected from others, that that causes shame. And I, th- I think that's what she's experiencing a little bit, is, is shame. And I know that that's what I experienced as well, as being afraid to, to say something about who you are and that that would cause disconnection with other people. Now, I think of this sort of on a continuum, this like disconnection with self and desires. So like if I was over here, I felt like I was really disconnected from some of my own desires in my life. Uh, just as this friend of mine feels a little bit disconnected from herself. And on the other end, there's sort of this idea where we can feel ruled by our desires, where we can feel almost out of control. Like we feel like, gosh, I feel like I'm doing things that are not actually who I am or who I want to be, but I'm still doing them because I feel like I can't stop or I don't have control. And that's what the Apostle Paul talks about, that being like a slave to our desires is how he describes that. And I think from a Judeo-Christian perspective, there's like this sort of, there's this middle section here. Right? And the idea is, is that we have a creator who created us in God's image to reflect a being who is in very essence love. And that this, this sort of core part of who we've been created to be and who we reflect, this is what Father Richard Ward calls our true self. And it's what the Apostle Paul calls the spirit. Right? So the, I like what Richard Ward, I like the way he calls it. He says, this is your true self. And it's the place where you can identify and be in touch with your own desires, God-given and otherwise, but it's a place where you're like actually able to authentically look at and name these things. And then you can make decisions about, you know, whether or not you're willing to sacrifice some of your desires for the sake of, you know, something that is good for you. But finding this space here in the middle, he calls the true self as opposed to what he calls the false self. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 talks about this. He just uses different language. He calls this the spirit, and he calls this out here being ruled by the flesh. And he talks about how some of these other spaces where we're not actually finding our true self, he says they're kind of in war with each other. Like there are parts of me that felt like I was out over here denying some of my own desires, and there's parts of me over here that are probably ruled by certain ones. You know, that none of us is like black and white on this continuum, but that these are all kind of swirling inside of us but that the goal is to try and find this space where we can be authentically who we are and who we're made to be. And you might ask, okay, well, how do you know when you've reached that? And I think that Paul would say, well, that's when the fruit of the Spirit is helpful to us, right? That when you reach this space where you're operating out of your true self, acknowledging your desires but not feeling ruled by them, that love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that those are the things that manifest in us. And I think that wanting to be better in tune with our own desires, I'm going to talk a little bit more from sort of this spectrum over here, of knowing who we are and not being sort of ruled by the people around us. 
So wanting to be better in tune with our own desires, I think is really helpful to our emotional and to our spiritual health. Health, And it helps us to develop some, it helps us develop conviction. It helps us develop who we actually are that helps us stand against groupthink. You know, that keeps us from sort of reflecting the desires of people around us. Like, what am I willing to stand for? What am I willing to, um, to sacrifice for? Who am I at my core? And I think that we especially lose ourselves when we're turning our face toward that kind of public approval. And Jesus acknowledges this a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, I was thinking about Jesus. Like, he, he knows what it is to be fawned over people, by people. You know, he was a public speaker. He had a very public ministry that he'd go around. It'd be easy for him to take some of the approval that he got. But he says this. He says it about prayer particularly, but I think it could be about other things as well. In Matthew 6, he says, Whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they can be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, they've received the reward. But whenever you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, there are places for public prayer, I think especially for public lament, and I think different cultures have different norms for prayer. So I think Jesus is not condemning public prayer in general here, but I think the gist of his point is this. that he's telling his disciples here to pray in secret, and in other places he tells them to give in secret. And we see parts of the Gospels where he goes off and he prays by himself early in the morning. That there is a sort of, like he has a a public um, religious leadership vocation, but there's also a part of him that talks about practicing like a personal piety. And the reason that he does that, I think, is because when you, you seek the approval of the people around you in whatever context that is, the danger is as you get hooked on that approval. Right? The danger is, is that you get that approval. And then that approval starts to shape who you are and what you become. And Father James Allison, he talks about that. He says, you know, like when the, when the approval of the crowd, like if I'm taking myself as a, as a, a good negative example here, the approval of the crowd is so strong, you start to lose yourself. Or like my friend said, she said, I don't even know what I want. I don't even know what I want anymore. So I thought I would tell a, a more personal story. I think this will be all right. I'm sharing it in the book. So, so it feels a little bit vulnerable. But about four years ago, um, I was on staff at another church, and the one where Ken and I were at, and we were leading the church through a change process to become more, you know, LGBTQ inclusive. And I had come on staff. I'd actually, I didn't even ask to be on staff. Ken asked me, so it wasn't like a job I applied for. So I found myself helping to lead the church, and we had agreed as a staff for like a three-year change process that we were going to try and implement. And nobody asked me to do this, but I just said that I was going to commit, I was out as gay, but I just said, I'm not going to date for these three years, and then we'll see what happens. And I look back on that, and I think, well, gosh, that was probably a little bit martyry of me. But that was what I thought, okay, I think I'm willing to sacrifice this for the sake of a larger, it seems like God's doing something. Well, we got a year into that, and I was dying. So this was four years ago now, and I remember it was around Easter time, and I just remember feeling like I, this is too much. It was much harder than I thought it was going to be. And um, I remember going into the sanctuary one Saturday 
and nobody was there on Saturday, so I like to work on Saturday for that reason. And so it was completely empty, and there's, there's like an altar, and I remember just getting on my knees and putting my head just like right there on the stage and just feeling at a loss and just praying and just being like, okay, God, I don't know what to do. Here's where I have found myself. It feels like you, but I, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So something's got to change. So maybe I need to just quit. I was okay with that. I thought I could go back and work in the business world, but I was really concerned about what that would say, like what that would communicate to our 40-something queer people in the congregation. That if some people don't think that you should exist or belong, you know, in the same way that you just walk away. I was like, I don't know if I can do that. And I didn't like what it said to women. And I was especially actually at that time thinking about um, the girl, like children's ministry and youth ministry. And I thought, ah, I don't know what to do. I thought, well, you know, I, I could go, I could switch seminaries, I could become an Episcopalian. I just don't feel like an Episcopalian as much as I love our brothers and sisters. I'm just not Episcopalian in my heart. Uh, well, you know, I just, I don't know. And I remember just feeling kind of at the end of myself and I went up onto the stage and the band had had their, like, their instruments up there for church the next day. And so I just picked up a guitar and I just started singing. I was like, God, I just, I, Jesus, I need a word from you. I don't feel like God like talks to me all the time, but I was like, I don't know what to do. And if the spirit is truly with us to lead us and to guide us, like now's the time. Like I need it and I need to know that it's from you. And so I remember I spent about two hours just kind of worshiping and singing. And I think Ken talked about that a couple weeks ago. Like singing is often a form of prayer for many people that we connect to God a lot through the worship and through the music that we sing together here on Sundays. And so I was singing and I, I did feel like I heard something and it was something that surprised me. I felt like Jesus said, I want you to ask me for what you really want. And that kind of took me aback. I want you to ask me for what you really want. Like you've been concerned about everybody out here. You're concerned about leading what you should be. You're concerned about all of this, but I want you to feel like you can trust me to say what you want. And I realized that probably through a lot of my 20s and much of my 30s, that there was that part of me, I couldn't trust God with that. And part of that was, I think my picture of God was one that I needed to like, have a certain standard or I don't know. I had, I think, a picture of God that wasn't quite as complete of God as love. And I just thought, okay, I think I've got enough track enough of a track record. I think I have enough history with Jesus now that I'm just going to say what I want as a wife. And then I got really specific. I was like, if you really want to know what I want, I want to be in a relationship with a woman that's moving toward marriage by the end of this year. And I don't know what that means, but that's what I want. And so I started a 40-day prayer discipline, much of like that 40 days of faith that we practice in Lent. And I just started praying for that every single day. And I started to kind of keep track of what I felt like God might be saying in prayer. And I had this, this other, it was about two weeks in, and I had this experience where I was laying on the floor, and I was in my room. I was, I was living at a house um, with another family, and so I was up in my room, and I was just laying on my carpet and just praying. And I had, I had an experience that um, I don't have, I haven't had before or since. Things like it, but not this. I had this sense almost like that like time and space sort of collapsed. And I know that like sometimes like Buddhist monks talk about this or different nuns, but this sort of sense of like that oneness that they talk about. And then I had this sense that 
the communion of the saints were praying for me. And that sounds very churchy, but what I mean by that is just like believers who have gone before us were like joining me in company and praying for me, kind of like, we've been there, we know it's hard, and you're not alone. Right? So it was a sense of you're not alone. And then I felt this remembering. So I wrote all of this down just so I wouldn't forget it. I felt this remembering of my name. I felt like God said, do you remember your Tibetan name? So I lived out in a Tibetan Buddhist monastery and I asked the nuns to give me a name. And the name they gifted me with was Garmula Yonginzun. And it means white woman in whom there are buried treasures. And I just remember thinking, gosh, I feel not wise, not strong, I feel at the end of my rope, I feel like I'm failing in many different ways and I don't know what to do. And then I felt like God just spoke that to me. Here's who you are. I've put treasures in you. It'll be okay. Right? This is your identity, right? It's like, here's your true self. Locate your desire. Now let me just like speak into who I've made you to be and come what may, it'll be okay. Right? And so that was like, that was something that I really held on to. And then a week later, I met Rachel. So she walked to our former church, and she was there for a conference and to promote her book. And a good friend of mine, who's the, who's the Blue Ocean Church uh, pastor out in Berkeley, California, she grabbed my hand and she dragged me across the floor, and she's like, there's somebody you've got to meet. And she was right. <laughs> and I want to say, prayer is certainly not always that instantaneous or direct. I'd asked for partners many times in my life. I just hadn't quite, you know, like timing is a thing. I'd never asked for a female partner. But it was helpful to me as like something that I held on to because it felt like, like Rachel was a gift from God to me. And I felt like in spite of all the turmoil, like it helped me kind of like take the voices away. That in spite of that turmoil, it felt like if I, if I rejected this relationship that was so good, that it would be like rejecting a gift from God. And if you want to talk like, what, what does the fear of the Lord mean? That's kind of what it means. It kind of just felt like, oh, I, I don't want to do that. I'd rather not do that. This feels like something that is good. So I shared a couple of things about this. First, that those kinds of experiences don't happen all the time. If they did, we would all be exhausted. They sometimes come in spurts. I think people who have, you know, had relationship with Jesus for a long time have sometimes found that they go through different times or different periods where they feel like, they're hearing more from God or they might be experiencing these sort of mystical uh, vision sorts of things. And that it's not more spiritual to experience God in that way. But it is a way that people experience God. I remember teaching um, a hearing God class once and this, this poor guy, it was a, a man who was an engineer came up to me and very left brain, very analytical. And he was just like in so much angst and he was like, I just don't hear God like this. I never have. I'm not good at visualizing. So when you're talking about, like, when you pray, visualizing being in a place, he's like, I can't do that. And I just feel, I feel frustrated. And I said, oh, well, that's, that's not that big of a deal. Um, I said, do you feel like you hear God at all in any way? And he said, well, I do. And I said, well, tell me about what that's like for you. And he said, well, he goes, actually, it sounds weird, but I feel like I, I hear from God in mathematics and that the eloquence and the beauty of the different um, equations. And he said, and I, I like design and biology. He said, so the cellular biology, he goes, I just get so much like mystical wonder and awe when I think about how the human body works or when I look at different chemical reactions. And I was like, well, 
I do not have that kind of mathematical training and I do not have the, the sort of scientific background that you have to like understand God that way or to hear God. So that's, that's something unique to you. Um, and I hope that that was helpful to him and I hope that's helpful to any of you who are like, I don't know, this mystical stuff is kind of weird. But I shared it, one, because it's my own experience and because I think these kinds of experiences are more widespread than is talked about and that people don't often talk about them. And I think that they don't because it feels very personal and a little vulnerable. But also we've got, you know, we're in post-enlightenment, Western culture, and we view these things with suspicion. I, when I was on vacation, I was reading through the, the Phyllis Tickle biography, which was our recommended book for Lent. And she had a very deeply mystical side that very much was guiding her throughout her life and through her career. But we found out later she didn't talk about that. Except like Ken realized when the biographer contacted him that really Ken was the only person she talked about that with because he would ask and he would treat those things as real. And so they had 10 years of sharing about her mystical prayer experiences and his. And when Ken and I planted this church, we both felt like, man, I think we would be really deeply misunderstood if people didn't understand this about the way we lead spiritually. And that felt like God gave dreams and visions and different words of encouragement. And even now, we share those things with each other to help discern, like, what is of God and what isn't of God. And I think that's part of growing spiritually, is learning how to be led by this spirit of love that is within us, and that we grow in discernment of that as we grow in God. You know, that we learn to trust, we learn to trust, like, what is God and what isn't, how God works, how God doesn't work. And we do that a lot in community. So I, I shared that particular I like sort of prayer experience in the sanctuary and in the home because I, I thought it was interesting looking back that it felt like God first asked me to locate my desire and then, I, then reminded me of my identity in him. So with that connection to self, like those were the two things that it felt like God had to kind of get me into for more spiritual health. What do you want? Do you trust me to say what you really want? And then let me remind me remind you of who you are. I think it was Nadia Boltz Weber who talks about like God's first move is always identity. Who we are in God, trying to find who we are. So we've been talking about different kinds of prayer in this series, and I just want to briefly offer one that we'll try out here in our meditation time. And it's one I think I've shared over the years because it's one that I go back to over and over again in my own prayer life, and that's a Quaker way of praying. And all you do simply is close your eyes, put your hands in front of you, and then I picture Jesus in front of me. You can picture God, whatever God looks like or feels like to you, a being who is love. And then I just picture different people in my hands before God. And for me, this really works, especially with people I'm having trouble praying for, with people maybe I'm mad at. And it kind of, I think, I think about it as like shaping my compassion toward them, right? Like, God, let me see them the way you see them. And I'm just holding them up to your light and love. But I want us to do something a little bit different this morning if we're talking about connection to self. I want you to picture, if you're willing, yourself. And I've done this as well, where I picture me before God and then just picture God, like, just looking at you, considering you for who you are, feeling God's love, and maybe giving yourself compassion on who you are. So if you're game, we'll just try that here for a minute or two. We'll say, come Holy Spirit, and 
we'll just hold ourselves like before God's light and love. It'll be silent, but people and babies make noise, so don't worry about a little noise. Jesus, in this coming week, I ask that you be speaking to us about who we are in you, that you would be speaking um, words of compassion and encouragement to us, that we would find that, that space that feels like our true self, where we can operate without shame in the fullness of who we are, um, reflecting your love and your light and your justice and peace in this world. In the name of Jesus, amen.